good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion. We're so glad that you've joined us this morning. At this time, we invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2a. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Amen. Let's sing praises to him.
church and you may be seated I should let you sit before I start talking right hey uh, I want to invite our young people our students our kids our kiddos students to head over to uh, the door over there by Miss Gianna and uh, we are going to offer a blessing to you and you're going to offer a blessing in return as you head down for uh, children's ministries of course we welcome our kids whether they choose to go down there or stay here they are a blessing to us amen Amen. All right, boys and girls, are you all ready? You're all ready to give us a, a nice loud blessing? Do you think you can do louder than the adults? We'll see about that. All right, okay. One, two, three. The Lord be with you. All right. Our, uh, our Sunday school teacher is going to be so mad at me now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a, a quick reminder uh, that we try to give a reminder every week. Uh, just thank you for your continuing and ongoing generosity uh, that supports our shared ministry financially here at, um, at Hardwick Ministries. Uh, just thinking about offering and, and thinking about what we do on Sunday mornings as worship, uh, you realize that, that worship, um, we have really gifted musicians and music and, and stuff happening. And so it's easy to think of worship as something that we receive on Sunday. But really worship is about what we give, right? And so we offer ourselves to the Lord in song and prayer, um, in, in ministry, in community. We offer ourselves to this community and with our resources. And so just as I think, I think sometimes we need that reminder that reframes worship as not something we receive on Sunday mornings, but actually something that we offer to God of ourselves. Does that make sense? 
I don't know, I find that helpful. And uh, as we think of that, uh, let's go to our God in prayer and offer ourselves uh, to him uh, as he speaks to us, beginning with Psalm 37. The Lord speaks through his word, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. No trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Lord, we pause this morning and, and just reflect on, on these words from, from Scripture's songbook, the Psalms. And Lord, as, as we think of these as our prayers, Lord, what a reminder of your goodness, of your grace. Lord, on, on a February Sunday morning in West Michigan, the, the sun is shining and, and we feel the warmth of your grace uh, through your creation. God, we look around and see sunsets and the snow that comes and then it melts and, and how you've created this world with seasons that, that replenish the earth. Lord, you are amazing and worthy of our praise and honor and glory, Lord. And so we offer our hearts to you this morning in praise and worship. And Lord, that is all true. And at the same time, Lord, we, we look at our world. And Lord, we look at the, the conflict and Lord, the, the natural disasters like an earthquake that hit Syria and Turkey this past week and the devastation that the people are experiencing there. We, we look around at our world and ongoing, the ongoing conflict and battle between the Ukraine and, and Russia. And, and Lord, that's just to name a few. Lord, we look at our world and there's so much uncertainty and, and chaos. And, and Lord, it's easy for us to, to carry that because we're so aware of what's going on in our world. We, we look at our own country and Lord, the, the ongoing discord and division in our nation and uncertainty about the future. Lord, it, it's so easy for us to carry that anxiety with us. And and Lord, you say, do not fret. Instead, Lord, to trust. And Lord, we acknowledge that that's, that's much easier said than, than experienced and lived. But, but God, we pray that you would walk with us by your spirit, that, that we would place our trust in the God of heaven and earth, the one who set the stars in place, the one who created all that we see, and the same God who loved each and every one of us so much that, Lord God, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And, Lord Jesus, we're reminded that 2,000 years ago, Lord, you walked the face of this earth. And, Lord, you took upon yourself the suffering and the brokenness and the despair and the sin of this world. And, Lord, it was defeated when you died on that cross. And, Lord, then you conquered death. You rose again. And, Lord, this is our story. Not the stories that, that we hear and we read about or that's happening around the world. No, the story that frames us, the story that is our story, is the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, this story carries us. This reality carries us. So that, Lord, we can, we can trust when we don't, do not know what tomorrow holds. So that, Lord, we can, we can lean into you when, when our hearts are broken. 
And Lord, that we can receive your goodness, not only by the power of your spirit, but by the power of of your people gathered together. That's why, Lord, gathering together every week is so important because we never know what we might need, but what you might have to offer through this community of believers. And so, Lord, as, as, as we gather in this place, Lord, Uh, These words from Psalm 37, verse 7, speak life right now. As the psalmist says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Lord, still our hearts, still our minds, still our spirits, so that your spirit would speak to us. And in hearing from you, Lord, our hearts and our lives would be changed more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray all these things. God's people say, amen and amen. Good morning, good morning again. It is, uh, it is good to be here. It is good to be together when the sun is shining. I, that makes such a difference. I don't know about you, but that sun that shines makes a huge difference. Uh, welcome to our visitors. If, if we haven't met, my name is Pastor JB. You can just call me JB. Uh, but uh, would love that opportunity to, to meet and get to know one another. That's a reminder to us as we continue to build this community uh, to look for opportunities after the service to maybe find someone who you don't know and uh, you got a little name tag. Don't be ashamed of reading that name. There's no shame in that. That's just a wonderful reminder as we continue to learn names, uh, share experiences so that we can do life together as a community. A couple of opportunities coming up uh, this week. Uh, this Wednesday, Wednesday during the school year, from most of the school year we have community night where there's a lot of kids ministries happening K through 8th grade Uh, but it's also just a time where we gather in this same space and eat a meal together this Sunday is a special one it starts at 5 a little bit early it's the staff chili cook-off how many of you have ever experienced the staff chili cook-off not enough hands, not enough hands so come this Wednesday night Uh, there is a coveted uh, reward I don't know, there's like a ladle trophy or something, you get your name on that. So Wernland family, we're going for the, the, the prize this year. Um, uh, but Staff Kelly Cook-Off, um, it's going to be a fun time of just gathering together. Uh, but more importantly, proceeds for that event go toward a good cause. Feed My Starving Children, which is an event service project that's wonderful for families. Sign-ups are live. That's happening in March. So check that out. And then finally, this Friday, um, if you're looking for something to do, we're having a Valentine's Ball. You've heard a lot about father-daughter dances and these things. This is for the whole family and any guests who want to come. We're just going to have some music, a photo booth right here in this space. Wait, is it in this space or is it? Look at your announcements. They know more than me. Uh, But we're going to be gathering for some food, some music, and uh, a photo booth 6 to 7.30. So just some things that are happening, opportunities to share life together. With that, this morning, we are jumping into a new Uh, mini-series. Drew Timmer, who's the worship pastor over at uh, Watershed does our, our graphics as well. And so just a cool little graphic, a kingdom in repair. And we're, we've been working our way through the narrative of scripture. And last week we remembered life in exile, okay? Remember life in exile, we looked at the perspective. God's people had been carried away into exile in Babylon. And we looked at that perspective through Daniel, the book of Daniel and the prophet Jeremiah, who writes this letter to the, those who've been carried off into exile. In this new series, for the next three weeks, we're going to track the people's return from exile back to Jerusalem and Judah. And uh, it happens in a series of waves, multiple waves, and so that first wave we're going to be covering today. 
a little summary of, of what's been happening in exile. While the people were in exile in Babylon, uh, there's a new empire that comes to power on the world stage. It is the empire of Persia. Now, the Persian king, Cyrus, uh, is moved by the Lord, and he allows the people of Israel to return to Jerusalem. Uh, and not only that, but he sends with them the gold and the silver that was taken from the temple by Babylon with instruction to the people to rebuild the temple. Now, we have to pause there. Does that sound like something a typical world empire emperor would do? No. I mean, that's unheard of, but God moves in the, the life of King Cyrus, and this is what happens. It's recorded in Ezra chapter 1, and, and shortly after returning uh, from Babylon, uh, the people in Jerusalem begin rebuilding uh, their lives. The, the city and the temple were destroyed by Babylon, and so they return. Ezra 3 tells us that first they rebuilt the altar so that they could begin worship and, and offering sacrifices to the Lord, uh, but then they also rebuild the foundation of the temple and there's this worship celebration that's all in Ezra 3 uh, by Ezra 4 we read this interesting story uh, where we're told the enemies of Judah and Benjamin uh, these are those in Samaria it's really the northern kingdom Israel uh, who are who occupy Samaria and this is why Samaritan in the New Testament is like this is an enemy of God's people but they come back from Assyria and they offer actually to rebuild the temple there's a lot we could go into here uh, but the leaders of Judah are like no 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 this is not your role this is our work and so these people from Samaria then uh, begin to work tirelessly to frustrate the building plans of the temple are you with me are you following me and so they frustrate their plans and and temple reconstruction just stalls and what we, what we realize is that for a period of 15 to 20 years, the temple just remains a foundation and does not continue to get built. Now, this is where our text comes this morning. This is when God sends the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. We read about them in Ezra chapter 5. And these prophets speak to the returned exiles. And this is where we enter our story. Through the words of the prophet Haggai, we're going to be reading the first chapter, verses 1 through 15, who's speaking on behalf of the Lord to the people who have stalled in the reconstruction project of the temple. That's the context of these words. And uh, if you have your Bible, feel free to open to Haggai chapter one. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen if you're willing, if you're able, and invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. Haggai chapter one. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheetiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Well, then the, Lord, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, referring to the temple, remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, 
it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me again in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you once again for your word. Lord, words of the prophet that spoke powerfully uh, and moved in the spirits of the people. And God, we pray that you would, you would stir up our spirits this morning. Um, that you would give us a word of challenge, a word of comfort, all in the gracious voice of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I, I know I almost sound like a, a repeating record when I say things like this, but uh, I, got a, I got a nine-year-old and a five-year-old, and uh, our kids keep us on our toes, amen? <laughs> Is that the truth, or are we the only ones? Anyone else with me? Yeah. Maybe we're the only ones. Uh, but, but it seems like uh, our kids, particularly at some of those ages, uh, can get into stuff pretty quick, if you're not paying attention, anyone else? You don't have to raise your hand. You can keep that to yourself, I guess. Um, I shared a little story this past Friday. Uh, my son got into some mud puddles at school, but that's another story. Um, good kids. Anyway, uh, several years ago, though, we were visiting Yvonne's family. Uh, Yvonne's from the, the west part of our country, and her brother lives in Arizona. So we were visiting the Phoenix area, and uh, the adults were all kind of catching up. It had kind of been a year since we had gotten together. So we're all gathered in the kitchen area, you know, eating some food and just enjoying conversation and laughter. And then all of a sudden, while, you know, the cousins are off in, in some other place playing, and suddenly we, we hear that sound as a parent of young kids that you kind of dread. Do you know what sound I'm talking about? Sheer silence, absolutely, like, what's going on? It's silent, right? And so we kind of go over to the playroom at, 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 at uh, brother and sister's house, and this is what we see. We find Bryson and the, the girl cousins have gotten a hold of him. And that little boy is covered with all the play makeup and glitter and everything that you can imagine. And he's just hamming it up. He's just loving it, right? Uh, that's my son. And it was pretty stinking cute. And I, I must say uh, that play makeup is a lot better than Sharpie marker because we've had sharp, anyone Sharpie marker. That's a lot harder to get off. So anyway, we cleaned him up and we went to the pool and it was a great time. Now that's kind of a fun example of, you know, we're kind of not paying attention and the, and the kid, you know, kinda, kids kind of get into trouble. There's another experience that, that maybe some of you have had, and, and I don't know about you, but this one is, is, is far more 
kind of heartbreaking as a parent. Um, have you been here where your young child, whatever age it is, comes up to you? For me, I'm picturing my four-year-old daughter, four-year-old son coming up to me and shaking my leg and saying, Daddy, get off your phone. Daddy, you're always on your phone. Get off your phone. Can we play together? And for Bryson, it's, can we roughhouse? He wants to always roughhouse. But to hear your child say, get off your phone. I don't know about you, man, but that's like, oh, convicting and a little heartbreaking. Pay attention to me. Now, now in some ways, I, I think this is kind of a, a, a modern parallel, maybe a little bit. Uh, to what's happening with the life of God's people as the prophet Haggai is calling the people out after 15 years plus of returning from exile because what Haggai is calling out in the people of God, your priorities are out of whack. Your priorities are out of order. And as I think about myself being on a phone when my four-year-old is just dying to play with daddy, that's saying something about my priorities being out of whack. Amen? You can say amen about the pastor. That's fine, yeah. Amen. Again, for the people of God in the time of Haggai, the, the people had stopped con reconstruction of the temple. Uh, instead, their focus had shifted from building the house of the Lord to shifting uh, to building their own lives back in the land of promise. And apparently that part of the rebuilding project was going pretty well. Uh, we read this in verse 4. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? We'll talk a little bit about that. While this house, referring to the temple, remains in ruin. The Lord sends Haggai to call out uh, the, the, the leaders. Uh, Zerubbabel, who's kind of serving as governor. Joshua is serving as kind of the religious leader, the, the high priest. And he simply draws their attention to what is obvious right before them. Like, look at the Lord's house and look at your houses. Why is there such a disparity between the temple of the Lord and your paneled houses? Again, Haggai is simply pointing out what's plain to see. That the people keep putting off the work of finishing the temple. It's been 15, depending on your estimates, 15 to 20 years. And they've been working on their houses. And, and from these, this language, their houses have gotten pretty luxurious. Paneled houses, what that's referring to is, is this is add-ons to the house that aren't really functional, but more decorative. So like in our own context, this would be like, like wainscoting or whatever. Like it looks, and that looks really nice, right? But it doesn't serve like a, a functional purpose for the walls. Maybe it prevents like a kid going through it. I don't know. I don't know. But it's mostly decorative, right? Or like, or like fancy trim or I don't know if you can get like upgraded siding. I'm sure you can, right? Fancy siding or something. It, it, there's no functional purpose, but it's nice and it looks nice and it's nice to have nice things. And so he's calling out these paneled houses. Meanwhile, the temple remains in, in ruins. The foundation's been built, but it's been 15 plus years. Maybe even the foundation that's been laid is kind of crumbling a bit. And you just have this vivid picture, this vivid representation. Our houses and the Lord's house. And this picture just represents where have your priorities been, people of God, the last 15 plus years. 
Now, before we, we kind of jump all over the people and say, yeah, how could they do such a thing, right? It's easy for us to read these stories and, and really just come down on the people of God. But, but here's a little gracious perspective, and I think that's helpful. Remember Ezra 3, and I, I kind of just briefly went over this, but if you're reading the story, Ezra 3 reminds us that the people first return to the land, and, and they, they're off to a strong start. The first thing they do is, is rebuild the altar so that they can make sacrifices to God. Their priority at the beginning is to worship God. And then they lay the foundations of the temple and they, they throw this huge worship right, service, right? And so their priorities are, are, are right on spot, right here at the beginning. But then what happens? Wow, these people who are called enemies of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin come up against them. They frustrate their plans. And eventually, after all that frustration, they just they, they kind of give up. And they keep putting off the rebuilding of the temple. Again, it's not because they're ungrateful for returning from Babylon, nor is it because they didn't love the Lord or they didn't want to keep God and worship a, a central priority. I don't think so. That's not the reason. Instead, like, like things came up. Right? The building project, it got frustrating, it got difficult, and things just, just kind of stalled out. And I'm sure in their minds, in fact, here they, they say it's not the time yet. Basically, in their minds, they're thinking, well, Eventually, we'll get around to it, right? But right now, there's, there's more pressing matters at hand. Now, let's pause, because I just offered a lot of reasons why priorities kind of got flipped upside down. And I, I don't know about you, but any of those reasons sound at all familiar? <laughs> Things came up. We'll get around to it eventually. I want to recognize that certainly our context is totally different from what's happening in, in Jerusalem at this time. Uh, but as I think about those reasons, I can't help but think about my own life and how my own priorities get turned upside down. And, and, and really where I want to focus is, is where do I spend my time? Where do we spend our time? For the people in Haggai's time, again, it, it's... It, there was this obvious representation of how their priorities were, were out of sorts, right? You had the, their houses, which were fancy and, and beautiful, and then you had the temple of the Lord, which was in shambles. But for many of us, or for me, I just think about my own life, um, the representation, I think, would be a, a, a budget of how I spend my time. Have you ever mapped that out? How I spend my energy, how I spend resources as well. But really where I want to spend our time this morning is, is, is our time. I think about where, where, do I, where do I give my attention? Where do I give my, my energy? Where, where do I actually carve out time in my week and make it a priority? Now, for many of us who, who are working, right? Certainly our work, we, we have a designated amount of hours that we have to work. And so there's certainly hours that are carved out. Maybe we have office hours. And so that's very clear. Again, that's good. That's important. Uh, for others, maybe those who are in that season of parenting, our kids' schedules rank high up there. They have sports or extracurricular activities. They've got to get to school. Again, these are all good things, and we have, we have to carve that time out to get them where they need to go and participate in the things that bring life. Again, those are good. Maybe for some of you, I'm, I'm approaching 40, and so like physical health is something that should be a priority. And so I, I try to carve out some time in the mornings, a couple times a week, uh, to exercise a little bit, starting to play a little basketball Wednesday nights. Or, or how about this, friends and families, our relationships that matter, we, we carve out some time. And, 
And, and, and what about this? Like at the end of a long work day, then, then I need to unwind anyone, right? And so then I kind of carve out some time for myself. And if you're like me, that's the time that gets carved out and then gets extended, you know? But we have all, the, how do we use our time? And I, and I just exhausted all this breath kind of sharing all these things that we carve out time for. But, but what about other things? Like what about time invested in, in my spiritual health? Like, do I carve out time for, for quiet and prayer, maybe in the mornings or the evenings? Do I carve out time for, for worship and gathering with God's people? What, what about not just that, but investing in the kingdom of God? Like, like carving out time and investing in, in kingdom ministry and f- advancing the kingdom in, in ministry things, but even just being a light in my neighborhood? And do I invest in the relationships in my neighborhood or do I invest in this community as we're called to do life together? Do I make that a priority in my life? How do I prioritize my time? Now hear me out. I, please, this is, this is not about beating ourselves up or feeling defeated. Like, like don't let that compound things. These are just just questions that I think are helpful for us to ask. And again, grace, because we live in a time and a culture where busyness and productivity and being active and busy, like these are all like really high values in our culture. These things are like a, like a cultural tsunami that's hard to avoid. It's the air we breathe. It's, it's, it's the, the, the waters that we wade through. Like our, our, so often in our culture, like our value is connected to how busy we are. Like, am I productive? If I'm, if I'm doing things, if I'm, if I'm accomplishing things, then I'm, I'm worthwhile, right? Here's a question. When someone asks you, how are you doing? Anyone else answer, oh, good, but busy, right? It's a high value, okay? Grace. Now, here's where, here's where Haggai's words give me pause. Uh, he calls the people to discernment. Calls the people to discern. Remember, um, we've talked about when you read ancient literature, and for most of us, the ancient literature we read is, is scripture. These were words that were passed down orally. And so they didn't have like uh, um, um, punctuation. They couldn't bold their letters. No, how you, how you added emphasis in an oral, oral word is you, through repetition, right? And so there's this one verse that just jumped out of the page as I was reading this. It's Haggai 1 happens twice. These very same words, verse 5 and 7, we read this. Now this is what the Lord Almighty or the Lord of hosts says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Literally, the Hebrew is to set your heart, lavav, or your mind or your inner self on your ways or your journey. Literally set your heart, your mind on your ways and how you're living your life. In other words, the prophet is calling the leaders of the people to consider how this misplacement of their priorities is working out. Hey, your houses are, oh, they're fancy, the Lord's house. How's that working out for you? And the answer is, is as the prophet says, it's, it's, it's not working great. It's not working great. Haggai says, this is not working. And in two movements, the prophet points out how it's not working. First time it comes up, five. Verse six follows and gives multiple examples of how those personal pursuits of comfort and security and excess, they're never enough. The prophet says, you plant much. You eat, you drink, you put on clothes, you earn money, but it never seems to be enough. 
your paneled houses, your wealth, your excess, they cannot deliver on their promises. It's not working. It's not working, verse six. He goes on and says the same word, give careful thought to your ways. And the prophet draws the connection to the Lord's hand in withholding and frustrating the people's plans when the priorities are off. It's kind of an interesting, we read this through a modern lens and, and what the, the prophet's saying is the Lord has brought the drought that's withheld blessing and prosperity from the land and we're like, boy, that like, God's bringing droughts? Like that seems kind of harsh. Like that doesn't really sound like a loving God. But I, but I think we need to reframe that. Because again, from an ancient perspective, like everything is from the Lord's hand. But, but even then, like, like reframe that. This is, this is a gift of God's grace. Think about if you've been a parent or if you've been in a classroom and, and, and you've worked with kids. Always remember, like when I use kids' illustrations, this always applies to us as adults as well. But think about this. Like when you, if you have a kid and the kid, their priorities are, are, are off or they're making poor choices. What do you hope as a parent? Do you hope that all those poor choices really work out and helps them thrive and, and it really works out? Like for example, they're cheating on tests and you're like, oh man, I really hope that works out for them and they get good grades and, and get to college because they're cheating on their tests. No! No, as a parent, you hope that they get caught and it doesn't work out so that they learn that cheating doesn't work out, right? Or, or if they're speeding, you, you, you want them to understand that speeding can lead to far worse things. So you really, you hope that we get caught early on speeding so that we learn not to speed because the consequences can be dire. Similarly, for the people, their priorities are out of whack, they're misplaced. And, and, and so if that brings success without any kind of consequences, then they're con gonna continue to live with priorities that are completely upside down. Does that make sense? Are you with me? This is an act of God's grace that these things aren't working out. If they continue to live this way with their priorities out of whack, then it leads to their own destruction. And so the prophet says, give careful thought to your ways. Now again, I, I, I hear these words of Haggai and, and, and I, wanna, I wanna hear them personally. And I invite you to hear those words as well. What the Lord said through the prophet Haggai to the people of God back then, he continues to say to us, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. To simply ask this busyness, how's it working out? How's this hectic pace, our time being filled up with everything, with God kind of just getting the leftovers, how is that working out? And I think there's a couple different ways we can come at this. First, through just self-reflection. We can just ask ourselves this powerful question. And it's a, it's a powerful question to regularly ask. Like, it's a helpful exercise. How's, how's this working out? How's my busyness working out? Do I have enough margin in my life? Am I, am I currently living at, at just a healthy pace? Like, is this sustainable? Or is my life filled with stress and anxiety? Do I feel overwhelmed at times? How about this? Am I well-rested? Am I, am, I, am, I, am I doing, am I healthy? Bring it to our spiritual lives. Do, do I feel an intimacy with Jesus Christ right now? Do I feel connected to the body of Christ? Am I, am I being a, a, a good witness to my friends? Like, am I a light that shines in my neighborhood? Like, filled with, with inner peace and I don't know what I'm trying to say. But am I a witness, right? Or do I sense that my life is out of balance? 
do I sense, as I, as I just reflect on my own life, do I sense something needs to change, that I'm, I'm just too busy? And I don't know about you, but if you sense that this busyness is not good for you, you're, prob- we're prob- you're probably right. Because there's all kinds of science and data and statistics that would back that suspicion up. There's been a lot of recent studies examining our hectic pace and the impact on our physical and mental health. This is not just in churches or Christian communities. This is broadly speaking that our, that our pace that we're living at is not good for our well-being. I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the 19, 1960s or 70s, there were two cardiologists who coined the term on the screen, hurry sickness. Did you know that that was a term? Hurry sickness. Uh, as they began to observe the link between hurry and busyness and stress and the, the health of our hearts. Like this is pretty common knowledge that a lot of stress is, is not good for our physical heart, right? And these cardiologists were making that connection, came up with this term hurry sickness, which is now considered a disease and it's not good for our overall health. Here's one definition of hurry sickness, a behavioral pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, six signs of hurry sickness on the screen. You treat everything like a race. You find it impossible to do just one task at a time. Number three really hit me. You get highly irritable when encountering a delay. I'm like preaching on this today and on Friday I'm driving the kids to school and someone's going like 15 miles an hour under the speed limit and I'm like, oh, come on, come on and I hear my son behind me like, come on, man, let's go. (laughs) It's like, where is he getting that from, right? Oh. You feel perpetually behind schedule. You interrupt or talk over people. You're obsessed with checking things off your to-do list and the list could go on and on. How about this one? Kind of a fun example. Anyone at Meijer or Costco and you got your cart, you're ready to check out and you're scanning every, all 67 checkout lines or whatever there is at Meijer and you're like, which one's gonna get me the fastest, you know? And you probably spend more time like pacing back and forth to find the shortest line when you probably could have just gotten a line. I don't know. I'm the only one. It's not good for us. And not only is it just not just self-reflection, not only is it science and data, but just read the scriptures. The scriptures suggest and teach that we are not designed for the pace of life that we're living. God has wired us to live with with daily prayers, right? The Shema was a prayer that the people of God would recite in the morning and the evening that their days were, 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 were created around this rhythm of daily prayer. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Achad, right? Or, 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 or the temple, which was at the center of the city that framed daily life, right? We talked about that and that's what they're trying to rebuild, the temple. Or how about this, Sabbath, God gave the people of God and wired us because we are not designed to go at this nonstop pace. We are wired and designed by God to have at least one day out of seven where we just stop and we rest. You know that pace of every day nonstop? That's the pace of Egypt. That's the pace of slavery and God brought them out of Egypt and said, no, you are gonna have one day where you rest and you remember who is the Lord your God. And not only that, but in the Torah, there's these annual festivals. So even throughout the year, take this week and remember Passover. We're not designed 
God hasn't created that way. We weren't made for this kind of pace that we've been living. Again, the evidence seems overwhelming. It's at least worth considering, I think, but that something's wrong with our priorities and our business, busyness, excuse me. Again, though, it's not about feeling defeated or, or overwhelmed by shame or guilt. Instead, if the Spirit's working in your heart, just see that as a gift of grace, like God just opening my heart up to something that something needs to change and that God has something better for us. It's a move of God's grace. Now for the people listening to these words from Haggai, it began with, with a step of faith, right? We continue reading in verses 12 through 15. And that step of faith was, they began building the temple, right? We read this, verse 12. Uh, then Zerubbabel, uh, Joshua, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the spirit of Joshua, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people, and they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. So God spoke through the prophet, challenged the people that their priorities were off, and reminded them of the gift of his love and his presence. I'm with you, and it moved them to resume work on the temple. In Haggai, it was to prioritize the Lord's presence among them. Notice, though, it's not about guilt. It's not about shame. It's not about fear as, as, as how we often use the word. No, this was about reverence for the Lord. This was about a love for the Lord and a longing for the Lord's presence, being moved by the Lord. I wish, I wish you could kind of get a window into the sermon process um, here at Hardaway, there's this collaboration happening between the pastors, but uh, it's not just Bill and Aaron. Um, Pastor Sarah gave me a call on Tuesday, and, and she, she's reading the scripture and studying the scripture, and she says, verse 13, man. She didn't call me man. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> but she's like, verse 13 is just coming to the surface. Uh, the Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you. It's like, have you thought about that? I'm like, well, not, not a ton. <laughs> Let's talk about it. So in our conversation, suddenly, what comes to the surface is that God says, I am with you before they start rebuilding the temple. What was the sign of God's presence with the people? The temple. But before they even start building the sign of God's presence, God says, I am with you. And I'm like, whoa. Whoa, 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 this is not about securing the Lord's presence through human action. What I mean by that is this is not about God's like, you know, quickly trying to build this temple so that they know God is with them. No, 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 because God has just said, I am with you. No, this is about seeking the Lord's presence who is already with you. In fact, as we read the stories of exile, Ezekiel tells us that God's presence even went with them to exile. God's not confined by the temple, Right? God is with the people and they're seeking his presence to, to remember that God is with them and, and the temple becomes this, this sign and signal of that. And what we see as we read the story, the journey continues. Their priorities would continue to struggle moving forward. So it's not like this just puts this fancy bow at the end of this story. No, this is not the final step in their righteousness or maturity. This was just the next step. And friends, I think this is where it lands for us today. Because today it's not about figuring it all out today, right? And that's where we get overwhelmed with guilt and shame. No, no, this is a lifelong journey. 
which is why our vision statement that's on the walls is to see everyone join in the journey. This is a lifelong journey of being found in and formed by and following Jesus Christ. This is a lifelong journey. This is not about what do I need to do to encounter God's presence or experience his presence or his love as if spiritual life, the spiritual life and the disciplines are some puzzle or formula to kind of be solved. No, that's not what this is about. As the Lord declared in Haggai chapter 1 verse 13 and as Jesus promised in the Great Commission, Matthew 28 verse 20, surely Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is not about securing God's presence. No, this is simply about what is the next step that helps us become aware of Christ's presence that is already in me, among me, and with God's people. And so as you think about what is the the next step, not the final step, hear hear these questions in grace. Receive them and hear the answer in the grace of the Spirit. But how is the Spirit calling you to reprioritize your time? Are there things that that need to be taken out of your schedule? Are you too busy? I don't know about you, but like for me, that screen time continues to be one of those things that I need to put some boundaries around, right? Taking some apps off my phone, I've done that, right? There are things that, are are there other things that need to be placed into your schedule and and, and to be given priority? Like a quiet time prayer in the morning or the evening and I know that's a challenge or, or even what we're doing here on Sunday mornings like there's something about being gathered with God's people is is that something that, that that you need to just make it a priority how is the Lord stirring your spirit this morning my challenge would be to, to listen to pray to discern to lean in and hear the gracious voice of the Holy Spirit who will who will lead you in the way of life. Friends, it's, it's easy to get our priorities out of whack. Sometimes, sometimes it's our, our kids who help remind us when that happens. So thank you, Bryson and Emmy, for me. Not always graciously reminding me, but reminding me when my priorities are out of, out of whack. Sometimes it's, it's other symptoms and consequences that can be a little harder to receive. And they kind of wake us up to the harsh reality that our priorities are off. And, and there I think maybe with some perspective of time, we can say thank you, Jesus, for the wake-up call. But here's the reality. As we think about our time, it can be scary. It can be scary because, because giving up our time or giving up our, our schedule over to the Lord is, is giving up some level of control in our lives. And it's easy to begin to worry. Well, if I give this amount of time here, that takes away this amount of time from here. And it's easy to begin to worry how all of that is gonna work out. Here's a word of assurance from from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I think it reminds us that when we get those first priorities right, oftentimes the secondary priorities have a way of falling into place. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter six. So don't worry about what, what shall we eat what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. I'd say we all run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But he says this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own. Friends, that's a a really tough word to live out. I don't want to diminish that. But I still believe it's true. May we continue to grow in this journey of seeking first the kingdom of God, of, of seeking first and foremost life in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, our Savior, and friend. Let's ask the Spirit to help us in that journey. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for how you speak. Not just through your word, but through the the community of faith. So Lord, I, I pray that as we think about our priorities, Lord, the temptation is is for this to, to simply be uh, just a, an inner dialogue with, with you and ourselves. And, but I, I pray that you'd give us faith to, to take this conversation to others that we trust. And uh, not, not, in a, not in a spirit of, of judgment or condemnation, but a, but a spirit of, of just earnestly seeking you in our lives so that we might encourage one another. Maybe it's something we, we talk about as, as families or, or in friend groups. Or, but Lord, this is such a challenging thing to think about how we use our time. It's a lifelong journey. So Spirit, speak to us. Lord, may, may your grace carry us. And uh, in all of these things, may you be drawing us closer and closer to the life that is in Jesus Christ. We seek this, we long for that, we pray for this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, I invite you to stand and sing. Oh, 
start dancing or something. No one wanted to see that. I don't know about you. I, uh, I have a tendency when I, when I hear a challenge like this to, to come up with like these lists of what I need to do and what I should do. And it's really easy for me to like compound all these things and beat myself up about that. And one of the things that's been really helpful for me is, is going to see a, a spiritual director who, who frames everything in God's grace. Um, and so instead of like oh man, I was hoping to do this and I didn't get there. And he would be like, yeah, but, but you did do that. And it would kind of like redirect because that shame and that guilt can be so defeating. And, and so I, I just want you to hear that grace because it's been life-giving for me. Um, and, and we just sang a song that, that we believe all that God has said. And, and do you believe that, that Christ is with us, lives in us, and really what this is all about is, is simply pausing for long enough to realize that and recognize that. So I invite you just for a moment, bear with me, just open your hands as an act of, of receiving God's grace and simply take a couple, a deep breath in. And then release that breath. Take another deep breath in.
It's not that that breathing is, there's something magical about that. But there's something about taking a deep breath that slows us down enough to recognize that every breath that we breathe is actually a gift of grace from God. And even in that simple practice, we've remembered them. So as you go from here, receive also this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. As God's people say, Okay.